This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, November the 28th, 2022. Rishi Sunak promised integrity. All he's delivered is panic. When he stood outside number 10 Downing Street as a freshly minted Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak told us this government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. Trust is earned and I will earn yours. He then took the reins of power, the mandate from just 200 people, equivalent to about half of Britain's least populated village, which makes him as trustworthy as King John. In the four weeks since, his deputy has had to report himself for bullying, his Home Secretary has allegedly become a security risk, and his minister without portfolio lost his portfolio for being so unlikable even politicians can't stand him. He'd have been better off giving a job to the Sheriff of Nottingham. The woman in charge of separating asylum seekers from illegal migrants has no idea how to do it, where they should go, how they could get here safely, or whether diphtheria is an incredibly infectious disease that should be kept out of hotels. The man in charge of all the money has announced they've run out, and the British public, which has also run out, will need to pay more tax so the government can have it. And the British Business Bank is this week in court over its refusal to reveal which British businesses it gave £6.7 billion to as a result of fraud and error under Covid loan schemes dreamt up by one R. Sunak, former Chancellor of this parish. The ruling party, whose internal divisions over Europe caused massive constitutional change and a 5% drop in GDP, is rowing over whether any of that was a good idea and if perhaps we ought to be a bit more Swiss. Meanwhile, the anti-immigrant party has let in a record-breaking half a million of them and is arguing with itself over whether more are necessary if we're ever going to have money again. And the Tories have had to sign a deal with the French moving border patrols back to Calais, which is where they were before the Brexit vote, which was supposed to settle all this for a generation and didn't even settle it for five minutes. Half the country's going on strike and there's no money left is no longer a joke from an outgoing Labour minister in 2010, but the official line to take for government ministers unlucky enough to be speaking in public. It is a further sign of just how well everything is going. Ministers are being stopped from speaking to the media. The PM made a dash to see Volodymyr Zelensky the day after he whacked the country with the bill for all the monies the Tories had cost it. And the guy, widely reviled for seeding care homes with a deadly virus and then ordering frail people into them, for swanning off to Australia for a £400,000 fee while abandoning his constituents, for humiliating his wife and children and breaking up two families with a mid-Covid guidance-breaking fling, has managed to win the support of more voters than Rishi ever has. Even the decent, right, well-done-that-lad decisions the PM has taken, such as his personal intervention to deliver the long-awaited medical medal for nuclear test veterans last week, came about in large part because Sunak's government is in a panic. They need wins wherever they can find them. And had he just won a general election with a thumping mandate from the, those atomic heroes would probably still be waiting for their gong. If his government had integrity, it would give those veterans the blood and urine records which are being denied them. If it had professionalism, it would have put Dominic Raab on gardening leave while the bullying investigations were investigated. And it had, if it had accountability, it would not be in court this week defending the decision not to publish the list of businesses which were given 1.7 million bounce-back COVID loans despite having been set up about five minutes earlier who boasted convicted criminals among their directors or who weren't asked later to pay back the cash they'd secretly spent on a new kitchen. At the time he set up the scheme, Rishi was warned it would be open to fraud. 
Treasury advisors still didn't meet with police to discuss how to close the loopholes until four months after the cash taps were turned on. The only reason a government doesn't want the taxpayer to see where the taxes were spent is because it all went horribly wrong. A PM with integrity, professionalism and accountability would know that and tell the government-owned agency to turn over its list to anti-corruption campaigners, journalists and data crunchers to provide the scrutiny that the taxman hasn't. A government with those qualities would have a reasonable chance of winning a general election. But this one is actually less popular in polls than the one led by Boris Johnson, and only slightly ahead of the god-awful administration of Liz Lettice Truss. The doom spiral is the only thing that has a chance of winning. Rishi is a decent sort. When the veterans sighed and cried at his announcement last week, and he heard their stories, he seemed genuinely moved. But unless he delivers on something other than obfuscation, cover-ups and panicky politics so gimmicky that even Boris would blush, he may not even last long enough to see them get their medal. Pollsters say he's got six months. I say he's got three. The winter of discontent will finish a lot of things off, and Rishi Sunak's government might well be one of them. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, December the 2nd, 2022. Perhaps the royal family should have listened to Meghan. The forehead of the person bearing bad news always seems the most tempting place to put the headbutt of blame. That's why police officers who inform relatives of an untimely death clear out as soon as they've done it and let trained family liaison officers move in to deal with the anger that would otherwise be directed at them. It's why a journalist is always in the most danger, not when reporting from a battlefield, but when they knock on a door and are invited to enter. And it's why Meghan Markle was the most unwelcome addition to the royal family's world since Princess Diana's lunch. Meghan was praised as a breath of fresh air and then, like every American, told off for being too brash. She was feisty until she was angry. She was determined, then opinionated, switched on and then woke, a multi-racial flag bearer, until she started talking about being black. That change in tone is precisely what happens to every person of colour, every woman, every minority, every activist, everyone who's disabled. You are welcomed until you are not. And the thing which makes you unwelcome is usually making a noise about the problems you can see and other people would rather not. Now, I'm no Meghead. She seems the sort of person that could raise the hackles of a half-dead dog. And while she's very pretty and pretty misunderstood, I suspect that if stuck in the kitchen with her at a Christmas party, the emotions of both of us would cycle through, fascinated, appalled, intentionally provoking, and finally end up at the DEFCON 2 of British manners, raised eyebrows and sighs on both sides. But whatever flaws she may have does not automatically make her wrong. And in dealing with its Megan problem the British establishment played the woman and not the bull. So when she needed to be shown the royal ropes, she was offered the services of Lady Susan Hussey. When she needed to experience the difference between the free-for-all, supremely capitalist US media and the more restrained, royal rota barter system, she was told not to rock the boat. And when she gave birth to royal children who had only ever moved further from the throne as they aged, she was criticised for not announcing it in the same way the next heir was displayed to the public. Here was a woman whose benefit to the royal family was that she could see through its ridiculousness, 
whose main characteristic is an ability to see injustice everywhere and fight it as photogenically as possible. And when she should have been invited to help make it fit for the 21st century, she was traduced as a tantrum-ridden diva who couldn't bear to play second fiddle to her sister-in-law. When she said there was a problem, the establishment reacted the same way it did to the nuclear test veterans' missing blood records, to the death of Zane Gabangbola when a gas used in chemical weapons was pushed into his home from a flooded Ministry of Defence dump, when the working-class families of Liverpool said the policing went wrong at Hillsborough. It closed ranks. It issued flat denials. It decided the complainant was the problem and never once scrutinised or asked questions about the thing being complained of. And that, dear reader, is why we ended up with her talking to Oprah, him writing a book, the pair of them doing a Netflix documentary and the establishment doing its nut. We bent over backwards for her, grinched the courtiers, while confirming the staff overused to bosses who only work two days a week found it all a bit too stressful. We are very much not a racist family, said Prince William, not long before admitting they'd been employing a distant cousin capable of asking a black woman where she was from eight times without realising that Hackney was a perfectly reasonable answer. Racism has no place in our society, proclaimed the public statements, while privately one cousin falls on their sword and Princess Michael of Kent keeps her blackamoor brooch, King Charles III keeps a fortune built on the proceeds of slavery and the royal family's staff keeps briefing against its only mixed-race relative. Meghan and Harry's Netflix trailer may well have been timed to intentionally derail William's trip to the US, but you can't tell me that Susan Hussey was planned that was a disaster of the royal family's own making, and one they're desperately trying to move on from by blaming Meghan for, uh, saying better stuff. Let's be frank. Susan Hussey wouldn't have asked me eight times where I was really from. Prince Harry wouldn't be criticised for saying he was treated differently because of his ginger hair. And if the problem Meghan had raised was a worrying lack of caviar, it would have been investigated and resolved by tea time. But then I'm not black. So my genetic heritage, Denmark, Sweden and Ireland, via seditious Kent peasantry and Huguenot refugees, is of no interest to aristocrats. They already know I'm a serf, in the same way they can smell the difference between a Chesterfield sofa and a DFS recliner from a hundred yards away and with a heavy cold. Anti-ginger sentiment would be Harry's truth to tell, and not enough caviar? Gadzooks, Jeeves, get thee to Harrods and hang my valet on the way. Meghan's genetics are as mixed as anyone else's, but hers are more of a threat to a delicate class system whose survival depends on people staying where they're put. Her saying she's treated differently because of her skin colour gets a bit close to the royal bone, and a person of colour with money and influence raising a problem is, clearly, not counting their blessings. Had the establishment scrutinised the nuke veteran's story of missing medical records, we'd know where they are and what they say. Had it listened to the Hillsborough families, police officers would have gone in trial in the 1990s and justice would have been delivered before the 97th victim died. And had it heard what Meghan said and responded by investigating it, she and Harry would be making documentaries that made the royal family look good. She'd still be pissing off Piers Morgan, of course, and no doubt upsetting the in-laws at Christmas, demanding a vegan turkey, urging everyone to exchange wisdom rather than presents, and getting up a petition to give the Sandringham house elves their freedom and knitted tiaras. But so what? What actual damage to the institution would that cause? 
And what benefits would it bring to show the world that this family of overprivileged, overdressed and over-the-top people could blend with someone very different? If the British establishment only took criticism and scandal as an opportunity to improve rather than an excuse to suppress, every citizen in the land would have a better time of it. It is that lack of flexibility which means that the truth, when it comes, always explodes with a bang. It changes the scenery forever. <laughs>